Welcome to the Financial Leverage Point, hosted by John Iannucci, founder and CEO of ILG Private Wealth. In this podcast, we dive deep into the world of financially successful families. We offer candid advice on how to navigate the maze of strategies and products designed to protect, grow, and transition your wealth to your family, friends, and the causes you care deeply about. Join John and his guest experts as they unveil the crucial elements of comprehensive tax, estate, business succession, and financial planning. Strategies designed to give you sleep through the night confidence while maintaining a steady flow of wealth for you and your heirs. Estate planning is not just creating a will. Welcome back to the Financial Leverage Point, where today your host, Johnny Anucci, is with a guest who can help us walk through all the ins and outs of making sure your wealth is passed along the way you intend. So, John, tell us about Michael Sneeringer. Well, Patrice, on our, our today's podcast, The Financial Leverage Point, we have a really special guest, attorney Michael Sneeringer. You know, Michael is a partner in the Naples office of uh, the prestigious law firm of Porter Wright. And he practices primarily in estate planning, estate administration, wealth preservation within the firm's corporate department. And his major area of focus are estate planning, estate administration, asset protection, and tax law. Michael earned his JD at the St. Thomas University School of Law and his LLM from the University of Florida, Miami. I actually did mine at the University of Florida, and so he and I have a little bit of competition going on, but University of Miami's LLM program is absolutely one of the premier master's programs for lawyers. And um, Michael, welcome to the Financial Leverage Podcast. John, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So, Michael, I, I suspect that our listeners have some basic idea of what an estate planning lawyer does, but give us an idea what your personal practice is like. Absolutely, John. So an estate planning attorney primarily works on a client's estate plan, both when they're living and when they've passed away. A Mm. typical attorney will take the reins and draft a client's basic estate planning documents, which Mm -hmm. sometimes consist of a trust Mm -hmm. and sometimes consist of more advanced documents, Mm -hmm. forming entities like partnerships, corporations, uh-huh. and LLCs. Yeah. Lastly, what an estate planning attorney is supposed to do is after that client passes away, that attorney works with the family to either administer an estate or administer a trust and or other entities and planning instruments that that attorney has created for that client. Got you. And why does a typical estate planning attorney engage you? What are they hoping to achieve? Is it, is it a focus on tax mitigation? Is it a focus on a smooth transition to family? What do you typically see? What are their primary goals when they come to see you? John, it's a little bit of everything. Sometimes we get clients because there's a major health event around the horizon, or mm-hmm. they're taking a very big trip and they have old documents and just don't have their affairs in order. That was one particular client. And a big example of that is we saw a lot of those clients during the pandemic. The other type of client that we're seeing, especially recently, was the great transfer of wealth from the greatest generation down to the baby boomers and now from the baby boomers to either Gen Xers or Gen Yers 
is we're doing a lot of business succession planning or when there's no business, we're doing wealth succession planning where the family has assets and it's time to kick those assets downstream. They know they have older documents and it's time for the major update now that the kids are older or that all of the kids' personalities have either come to rear their ugly heads or we have these beautiful children that have their own children and now we want to set who's gonna be in charge versus who gets what percentage of assets. Great explanation. I, I got to tell you, I, I see those very same examples every day. Excellent. So what estate planning specialties really set you apart from other estate planning attorneys in your field? You know, I oftentimes see general practitioners who do everything from medical malpractice and personal injury claims to, oh yeah, we also do estate planning. Talk to us a little bit about your estate state planning specialties and how that really segregates you from the crowd and why we're so eager and often to refer clients to you. John, what I look at in a potential client is how can I help them first and foremost? And so what sets me apart then, number one, is communication. Communication is key with me. We were talking offline before this, John, about a situation, and that situation was about resolved at 2.30 in the morning on a right. Saturday. What right. happens is clients and referral sources and others know they can get a hold of me. So availability might be my best quality. But then what sets me out apart next from other planners is I take a holistic approach to the plan, no cookie cutter, no one size fits all. But then I also look at the estate planning with an asset protection lens. Huge. And what I mean by that is I'm not just trying to assemble a will and a trust and then push the client out the door. No, what I and what my duty is to that client is identifying any holes in their plan that would suscept them to liability from potential creditors being their creditors. Or later on, when their kids are inheriting, their kids' creditors, such as divorcing spouses, tort creditors, or other business creditors. Yeah. Michael, you're, you're just, you're absolutely speaking our language. You know, we know how important it is on the wealth management side to, to have an overlay of an asset protection strategy. And from an estate planning perspective, couldn't be more important, couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I oftentimes explain to clients, Michael, that they do have a creditor and that creditor comes knocking on their door every April 15th. <laughs> it's the largest, most powerful creditor in the United States. So your planning specialties and your expertise are just, just spot on. When a new client first meets with you, what, what questions should they be ready to address in an initial consultation? What's that look like for you? John, I'd say the number one question I want to know is, because this really puts us in the category of, do we just need a will and mm -hmm. some beneficiary designations tightened up, mm -hmm. or do they need a will and trust plan? I like to ask first what their background is, how they accumulated their either wealth or just accumulated their assets in general. But mm -hmm. then my second question is always, tell me about the beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. I want to know about your kids. I want to know about your marriage. I'm going to poke and prod into what's going on. 
And mm-hmm. so if a client shows up and says, everything's good. I love my son or daughter-in-law. I kind of know that they did not spend enough time really thinking this issue through. And right. so unfortunately, there are times, John, where I really just drop the dead fish on the meeting and just say <laughs> to them, what did you think of these three or four things? Right. I will actually, too, ask the client whether they're expecting an inheritance, because a lot of my clients sit in that 30 to 60 year range. And those folks typically have living clients. And so you have to have and you have to be ready to have that test conversation as spouses. Gee, my mom's giving me this money outright. Is that the way to go? Or my dad's leaving me part of an operating business. Do I really want that? Or is that better for my brother? So those right. conversations start organically just by when the clients first come in and they're ready to discuss those issues. Absolutely. Incredibly insightful. We're, we're typically asking those very same questions when new clients meet with, with, with us at ILG Private Wealth. They oftentimes successful families, I think, feel confident that you know, they have enough money and resources to have a great retirement. And as a result, you know, a lot of those families have a common question, namely, how can they create an estate plan to pass along, you know, their accumulated wealth to the next generation and not compromise them or create kind of a welfare trust fund baby type relationship to money? How do you address that question for successful families? What I like to do, John, is incorporate the accountant, the wealth manager, advisor, planner, and then myself and kind of take a very overall team approach. Mm-hmm. So in the scenario you're describing, John, what I'd be looking at is somebody like you to continue investing and dealing with the financial asset. I don't want to do that. The accountant shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And then likewise, what we like to do is layer on sort of a directed trustee on top. What Perfect. that directed trustee does is just deals with distribution. And then John and his team can deal with investments. I can do with any legal questions. And then we have the accountant filing the tax return. That's when it works best because if the terms of the trust are properly drafted, what that sort of directed trustee can do is save the beneficiary from his or herself when they request a distribution. The first thing they do is ask me, What do you know about the beneficiary? Is this a person that can be trusted with this distribution? Then they work with the accountant on the beneficiary's balance sheet and needs on an ongoing basis. Is this an appropriate distribution? Is this going to hurt that beneficiary's tax situation? And then Mm -hmm. lastly, John, we're looking to you to say, all right, what are our growth and barometers and parameters? Sort of where do we fit now if we make a $50,000 distribution to Sam for his children to go to private school? Or should Sam be pulling that money out from additional sources? And so that's really how this can all fit together so that the beneficiary's needs are met. But at the same time, grandma and grandpa or mom and dad are looking from the grave, looking down and going, okay, this child is being taken care of, but they're not using our money as the only resource. Right. 
Incredible. Great solution. You know, that that kind of comprehensive integrated solution with wealth management, competent legal counsel, a great CPA, that holistic plan is really what we found to be the, the, the best solution as well. You know, once you've created an estate plan, that initial documentation, Michael, how often do you suggest our listeners have their estate planning, estate planning documents be updated or reviewed? I would say the typical amount of time is three to five years at most, but that's mm -hmm. with an asterisk. Mm -hmm. The asterisk is essentially, did we have a new child born, a new grandchild born? Has mm -hmm. one of our caretakers of either ourselves or our children aged out or passed away? Or mm -hmm. were there any life events mm -hmm. in a beneficiary's life that would cause this plan to be updated? Mm -hmm. I got a lot of COVID changes that mm -hmm. were either related to death or mental health issues with beneficiaries or fiduciaries. Sure. Sure. And so, John, there's no right or wrong answer, but if it's been three to years, it's good to just come by, sit down mm -hmm. with your estate planner. And my philosophy is if I'm not drafting or creating something on my computer, then mm -hmm. I might not have to bill for that. I'm mm -hmm. establishing a conversation, an open line of communication, so that right. when the big one happens, we're the number one choice. Right. Perfect. I'm oftentimes surprised, Michael, when I meet with new clients and they say, oh, my estate planning is great. And I ask them to bring in their documents and they may have a, bas a basic will that they did in Ohio. But I notice that they don't have a power of attorney. They don't have a healthcare directive. What do you think are the basic essential estate planning documents that, that every client should have? Number one is a will, of course, because mm -hmm. that sets out your intentions for disposing of property. You mm -hmm. don't want to rely on the state to do that for you. And mm -hmm. in the state of Florida, especially, there are complications in blended families if you mm -hmm. just don't have a will. Besides mm -hmm. that, and a will is a will. We call these next four documents that we mm -hmm. utilize our ancillary documents, our ancillary okay. estate planning documents. Okay. That's the durable power of attorney for financial, mm -hmm. a healthcare surrogate form for health, a HIPAA mm -hmm. authorization form for health, and a declaration naming pre-need guardian form. Ah. A durable power of attorney for financial deals mm -hmm. with financial assets, both if you have capacity and then when you don't have capacity. Right. Healthcare declaration, similar. Healthcare mm -hmm. declaration allows somebody to make decisions. Mm -hmm. But a HIPAA authorization form gives your healthcare decision maker access to your healthcare information to make those decisions. Right. And lastly, the pre-need guardian form is not mm -hmm. used in all states, but in Florida, a state that I'm licensed in, uses that because we have a lot of guardianship abuse and fraud. And right. so that document can be signed while the person mm -hmm. signing the document has capacity mm -hmm. to then nominate a future person to serve as guardian should a guardianship proceeding be initiated. Right. Huge. Yeah. Really, really simplifies that process. Incredible. Good. Good stuff. You know, Michael, a lot of our clients come in with a stack of documents that they candidly have never read and probably don't understand. 
And oftentimes that stack of documents will, will include kind of a fancy three ring binder with a revocable trust on it and <laughs> included. And, you know, can you please explain the basics of a rev revocable trust? I think many of our clients initially believe that a revocable tr trust provides them with some level of protection from creditors and also provides some level of, of income tax mitigation. Give our listeners a kind of a basic idea of what, what a revocable trust is and how it's used and what it can do and can't do, candidly. Listeners, listen up. This is the yeah. most important tidbit you will get today of information. That yeah. is because a revocable living trust, an inter vivos trust, a living trust, or just revocable trust. Notice how there's many names, last one being a trust agreement or trust instrument. When you hear those buzzwords, folks, know that you need to do a lot of things, not just sign the trust document. Mm -hmm. A revocable trust does not give you, the trust creator, any modicum of creditor protection. What it can afford is beneficiaries upon your death creditor protection, if drafted correctly. Mm -hmm. Not, I get everything at 18 or 25, but long-term trust planning. The reason why there's no creditor protection to the trust creator is because that trust creator retains the ability to amend or revoke that trust. Right. You can change it at any time. It follows that there's no protection. Mm -hmm. So that's a blessing and a curse. You're not really motivated when you sign one of these typically to fund mm -hmm. the trust. What right. do I mean by funding? I mean assigning or retitling assets from Michael Sneeringer to the Michael Sneeringer Revocable Trust. That right. is crucial, John, as you clearly identified and pointed out. Clients yep. walk in with these fancy binders but mm -hmm. they do not have funded trust, right. period. And that's a problem. Right. Lastly, on the tax component, it's tax neutral. So during my lifetime, when I create one of these, there's no changes from an income tax standpoint. I can put all my assets into this thing. And although right. I avoid probate, I'm going to do nothing from a creditor protection standpoint. And likewise, it's not going to change my income taxes. I'm going to be in the same bracket before I put the assets into the trust. Right on. Yeah. Perfect explanation, really. And what do you see as kind of the common estate planning errors that a client or their legal counsel may make? Is it the failure to fund a trust like you just identified? Failure to adjust beneficiary designations. What follow-up do you often see isn't done as a part of an estate plan where somebody's missed it? The biggest issue that I have found in my years of practice is communication. Communication mm -hmm. that certain folks are listed as fiduciaries. Mm -hmm. Communication of who the beneficiaries are. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the big one you just identified, John, the communication between the attorney and the client as to next steps. And what typically happens, John, is attorneys will send a memorandum and that memorandum will say, this is how you fund your trust. Right. But if I'm acting in my client's best interest, <laughs> I'm not just sending them with a memorandum. Really the crucial part is the follow through, both mm -hmm. the attorney 
And the client, and unfortunately, sometimes that follow through isn't done until the client passes away. And so it really is crucial if you're able to bring the kids in or the beneficiaries in sooner rather than later, because Mm -hmm. they can oftentimes help the client follow up on these things that, or these actions that need to be taken immediately. Absolutely. Many of our clients, Michael, are successful business owners. Can you touch on just briefly what kinds of issues you see when it comes to estate planning for the owners of successful family-owned businesses, particularly where they're hoping to transfer that business to their children, where some children are in the business, some children aren't in the business? Can you touch on that briefly about how that complicates an estate plan for you? John, we've spoken about this for years now, and Mm -hmm. it is a big issue because oftentimes the client will not start soon enough. This is, folks, a decade-long process in some cases. Mm -hmm. In other cases, certainly it gets done faster. Like Mm -hmm. I have a family example when you have an uncle that has a heart attack and Mm -hmm. it's heart attack number three and the children have to actually come in and really force him Mm -hmm. or her to sell the business. So that can kind of happen. Mm -hmm. But with successful business owners, What can typically happen is they hear something at a seminar and they Mm -hmm. really ratchet up their planning at the wrong time, failing to account for, can somebody buy me out of the business? Am I insurable? Can we use insurance to buy me out of a business or help me transition a business? If I have children, the number one thing is sitting with the client. And somebody like yourself, John, or even a business coach to really talk about, is my child or my key person ready to run the business or is it time to sell to a third party because it's a failure to launch or I just don't have that strong partner? These are just a sampling of the conversations that, John, when I have these with clients sooner rather than later, it makes for a wonderful process. I'm talking to a client today, for example, with another one of my partners about should they initiate a profit sharing plan? Should Mm -hmm. there be some type of ESOP involved? Should there be some type of sale to a child? But Mm -hmm. having these options when the client is in their 50s is great. But oftentimes, John, we don't get the client until they're in their 70s. And -hmm. sometimes it can be too late. Right. Right. Well, Michael, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, it's not unusual for us now to have a client walk in who has a special needs child. You know, what kinds of specific issues do you encounter when creating an estate plan for the families with a special needs child? John, I'm seeing this now on two ends of the spectrum. Number one is the planning initiation. And thankfully, the client has chosen me in this situation. But I had the opportunity recently to work with a person. We'll call them Cindy. Cindy called me out of the blue. Her mother had died and Cindy's sister, Sarah, was left to her. And she didn't know that she can't just make decisions for Sarah. What we had to do for Cindy was get her appointed as guardian. Mm -hmm. And so I take that planning very seriously. Mm -hmm. Not that I didn't before, 
but I've ramped it up in situations where clients have children of special needs. My first question is always, how soon until the child is 18? What's our status? If it's a grandparent, I ask them, would you be that child's legal guardian if your child passes away? Because oftentimes grandchildren are left to grandparents. And so we need to set out ground rules to either set up, if the child is 18, to either set up a guardianship now, you know, planning for the future, or if that person's 18 and maybe it isn't a guardianship situation, like Mm -hmm. where my client's the grandparent, we're oftentimes able to set up so-called special needs trust, third-party special needs trust, where assets can go to that child with special needs, but only for their special needs, and Mm -hmm. not if those assets being distributed would violate or take away that disabled person's government or state benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, I, I, I think that we always emphasize with our clients how important it is for us to coordinate our wealth management efforts with their estate planning legal counsel. And I think you've already mentioned that you have that same philosophy that you think for a comprehensive plan is it's vitally important for the estate planning council, CPA, wealth manager to coordinate their efforts. Do you get pushback from clients on that? Or do you, do you find that they, they, they readily accept that it's important to have that team working together, integrated and speaking to each other as they proceed? Most clients would prefer the integration. Typically what we can do, and this isn't, For every lawyer, but for myself, I like to make house calls. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do? If they're meeting with a financial advisor, financial advisors typically coming to the home. And then Mm -hmm. what I like to do is join for a half hour of that meeting. Because oftentimes the financial advisor is part of the driver of some of that more advanced estate planning. And then they need me to break down the legal ease. And so it's just a nice compliment. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. In addition to your estate planning expertise, your practice includes estate administration. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, have read AARP articles on avoiding probate, and they they seem to go so far out of their way to try to avoid probate. You know, are you typically attempting to minimize or eliminate the probate process, you know, in your estate planning efforts in Florida? Or is that a necessary component to the overall estate plan? We are trying to eliminate probate, John, but Mm -hmm. I always tell clients there are situations where it's just better to leave, for example, joint assets that Mm -hmm. are owned husband and wife or spouse and spouse. Those assets get special creditor protections under Florida law. And so I sit down with the clients and I explain that to them where I tell them we can put 50% in husband's trust and 50% in wife's trust, but you lose the creditor protection. And John, often once we speak to them, and then we talk about the probability of a simultaneous death, clients Mm -hmm. kind of wrap their head a little bit around that. Mm -hmm. It's not terrible if we have to go to probate because the benefits of losing the creditor protection do not outweigh just stuffing everything into a revocable trust. So it's a fact and circumstances test. If you're 90 years old and you're a widow or widower, 
then absolutely we'll utilize that revocable trust. Right. But if you're 50 years old, you're married to a doctor and that doctor has a lot of liabilities that pop up, it might be smarter to leave things in one spouse's name or mm -hmm. to leave it in joint names as mm -hmm. tenants by the entirety. Absolutely. Right. Well, Michael, is there anything else you want our listeners to know about your practice and the type of clients that you help? Absolutely, John. Thank you for the opportunity. So what I want folks to understand and hear out there is that lawyers aren't scary. <laughs> I think the big thing that you need to be prepared to do is call up in calling up a lawyer or their legal assistant, whomever you get on the phone, ask up front. How does the attorney charge? Right. Are they flat fee or are they billable hour? Mm -hmm. And then if it's billable hour, you always ask what the range is. What's mm -hmm. the range of the cost for a basic estate plan? Understanding, Mr. or Mrs. Attorney, that my plan could be different and could have mm -hmm. nuance and specialty to it. Sure. That's sure. the first thing I'd want them to know. But then another thing I would want them to understand is, in choosing an attorney, you need to be aware of that attorney's sort of what do they do. If I'm looking on a website and it says Michael Sneeringer is a marathoner and a triathlete, that might not be my attorney if I am a high maintenance client and have a mm -hmm. lot of need because that mm -hmm. attorney might not be there for me. Right. So me as the client have to understand there's right. delegation to associates and others right. in the firm. So right. I think our listeners just need to be aware of pricing and the type mm -hmm. of attorney they need for their plan. Because right. some clients want a 70-year-old attorney. But if the mm -hmm. client is 70 themselves, folks, what are the odds that attorney will be around to see right. out your planning intentions? Right. Absolutely. Well, Michael... You know, in order to understand what a new client may be interested in having done, do you offer a free initial consultation clients uh, to come in and kind of explain their situation and what it is they're looking to have done? Absolutely, John. And that free consultation now takes several forms because mm -hmm. we have Zoom WebEx. And right. then, of course, we can always jump on a telephone call. What mm -hmm. we try to do is just be flexible with the client. Now, if the client's in, Tallahassee and I'm in Naples, maybe mm -hmm. in person is going to be tough. So mm -hmm. the client just has to be willing to work with the logistics, but we can make it work. I have yep. clients all throughout Florida, Wisconsin, and Ohio, among mm -hmm. other states. Right. And Michael, what other states does your firm have offices in? Just so our clients know that, you know, they don't have to be a Florida resident. Where else does Porter Wright have offices? Our offices in Florida are in Naples and Tampa. In Pennsylvania, we have an office in Pittsburgh. We have a Washington, D.C. office, a Chicago office, and then we have a couple offices in Ohio, Cleveland, nice. Dayton, Cincinnati, and Columbus. Wow. Well, Michael, I can't thank you enough for, for your time today. We, we can't emphasize how important we believe it is as a part of ILG Wealth's family office services that our clients have access to incredible, dedicated professionals like you. We really go out of our way to vet professionals before referring our clients. And, you know, we simply cannot say enough about how much we respect you and your practice. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely, John.
And how do you, what's the best way, Michael, for listeners to get in touch with, with you at your office? Listeners, you can either call my office, which is 239-593-2967, or simply an email. My email address is msneeringer at porterwright.com. And sneeringer is S-N-E-E-R-I-N-G-E-R. Perfect. And for any of our listeners interested in an actual initial consultation with Michael, we have a very special offer. Oftentimes, our clients aren't certain how to begin an initial meeting with a sophisticated estate planning lawyer like Michael. And so invariably after that meeting, I hear a lot of the same comments. Oh, I forgot to ask Michael about our insurance trust, or I forgot to ask Michael about what he thinks about family limited partnerships and so on. And so to help any of you that are interested in that process, we're happy to also provide our listeners with a free, no obligation one hour meeting to review your state planning documents, your wealth management portfolios, help you discuss initial questions and help prepare a specific set of questions to make that consultation with Michael go smoothly. And so by doing so, we can make certain that you get the most out of that consultation with Michael and really good to get a good idea of how Michael can help address all of your estate planning concerns. You can coordinate a meeting here at ILG Private Wealth just by reaching out to my office at www.wecanhelpyou.com and request a meeting with me to prepare for the consultation with Michael. Michael, thank you again for your time today. Can't thank you enough. And we really respect what you're doing, both within the community and for our clients. Thanks so much. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. And listeners, follow or subscribe to this podcast for informative insights on way to protect your wealth and your family. And of course, share with those you care about. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Financial Leverage Point. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. To contact John, check out the show notes where you'll find his contact information and useful resources from today's episode. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of John Iannucci. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.